Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. So today, um, we're on our Dare to Dream series. It's our uh, third week on that. But very possibly the most important series we've done as a church, certainly the most riskiest with the most at stake. Uh, many of you know we're trying to secure this building here. Uh, if you got that image, put it up. We're trying to secure this at Dysart and Greenway. Uh, we are one step away from that happening and um, signing that lease. Uh, it's 14,000 square feet that uh, uh, we believe God is calling us to uh, be our ne- next future home. And so today, we've been dreaming in this series. We're dreaming of what we might accomplish together. We're dreaming about what God might do through a group of ordinary people that come together with a common cause to advance the kingdom. We're dreaming of salvations and changed lives and families restored. And we're dreaming about addictions broken and children coming to Christ. And we're dreaming about sowing into a community with after-school tutoring and summer programs and music and arts programs and social and family services, and we're dreaming together. And it can happen as we move forward in this. And today I'm hoping that you would be a dreamer with the rest of us and that together uh, we would see God do immeasurably more than what we can ask or think, as Ephesians 3.20 uh, talks about. I like the quote that Steve Jobs Uh, He said, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs and square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them, you can disagree with them, you can glorify or vilify them, but the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. I'm asking that you would be crazy enough to believe that we can change our corner of the world. So we're going to jump in today. Pray with me. Father, uh, so much at stake here in, in our community. And it really is, it's beyond us. It's for people uh, that we don't know, names that we don't know, people we have never met, children who have not even been born. This is about them. It is about generations to come, and it is about us playing a role in your design of the local church, representing Jesus as the hope of the world. And so I would ask that you would stir us and move in us, and the enemy would have no place in our thoughts or attitudes, but it would be uh, your spirit, God, that is driving us and pushing us forward. We give this time to you, and we submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you've been with us, you know that we value the Bible, and I value teaching uh, from the Bible and digging into the Bible. Uh, From time to time, we do something that is kind of Bible light. I don't like that phrase, but uh, today is one of those uh, days. And I tell you that up front because I never want you to think that I would want you to come just to hear me or some philosophy. We're here because the Bible transforms us. And so while I'll be uh, reading from the Bible and we'll be exploring it, uh, it's, it's not a typical service. And so I always let you know that uh, in advance uh, because it's part of the way that I remind you that we value, teach, and believe, and want to uh, um, kind of root ourselves in the Scripture. So let's uh, start talking about our why. 
Several years ago, Simon Sinek wrote a book called Start With Why. His premise is that all inspiring and motivating and world-changing leaders or organizations operate out of what he calls the golden circle. And there's three circles, and in the center of that circle, uh, he says, is your why circle. He says, and your why is the core belief of you, an, an individual, or it's the core belief of an organization, or in our case, a church. It's the why the person, the business, or the church exists. It's why they get out of bed in the morning. The second circle is its how. And this is how the person or the organization fulfills their core belief or lives out their why. The last circle is what, he says, is that is what a person or an organization does uh, that reflects their core belief. Senate goes on to say that all the great and inspiring leaders and organizations in the world all, all think and act, think, act, and communicate in the exact same way, and it's the complete opposite of everyone else, right? All the great and inspiring leaders and organizations think differently. He says almost every organization starts by telling you what they do. They feature their product or their service. Employees can tell you this. They can tell you what he or she does. He goes on to say that some, some can even explain how they do it. Their differentiating value proposition or how they do it different or how they do it better than another person or organization. But then listen, he goes on to say, but very few, very few know and are able to articulate why they do what they do. Very few know their purpose, their cause, or belief, why their organization exists. He says very few know why they get out of bed in the morning. And so I want us to explore this idea of why and our why as a church. Remember, the why is the core belief or a person or an organization. It's why the person, business, or church exists. How is how the person or organization fulfills or lives out their core belief or their why. And the what is what that organization does that reflects their why. While most people can communicate their what, the leaders and organizations that inspire the status quo and change the world communicate, Cynic says, from the inside out, starting with why. He gives an example of, of Apple, and he says, at the core of their marketing, Apple starts with why. And to help to illustrate this, he gives an example of what an advertising marketing campaign would look like if Apple started with their what first. He said it would sound something like this. We make great computers. That's their what. That's what they do. They make computers. They're user-friendly, beautifully designed, and easy to use. You want to buy one. And he says that while these facts are true, it does not move us. Well, it turns out that Apple has learned something over the years, and they actually start from the inside out. Here's a real marketing message from Apple would, would, you know, would, might look like this. He says, with everything we do, right, they're leading with their why. With everything we do, we aim to challenge the status quo. We aim to think differently. That's why we exist. He says, our products are user-friendly, beautifully designed, easy to use. We just happen to make computers. There's their what. Want to buy one. And so we're going to look at the why of the church, the how of Reveal, and the what of Reveal. But I want us leaving here understanding why we do what we're doing and why we're taking the biggest risk of our lives to get into this next phase of our church history. But let's start with some inspiring whys. Martin Luther King. 
summer of 1963, King and his famous I Have a Dream speech. It wasn't a I Have a Plan speech. Matter of fact, he really didn't have a how or a what. All he had is his dream. All he had is his why. And yet 250,000 people gathered in Washington, D.C. to rally and be inspired by a man's why. We can see this throughout history. John F. Kennedy inspired a nation with his plan to put a man on the moon. The only problem was there was no plan. All he had was his dream. All he had was his why. Here's what, what we're going to be about. Here is our why. At that point, putting a man on the moon was things of science fiction. Uh, NASA did not even have the technology needed to accomplish it. And, but a nation rallied, not around a plan, not around a how, not around a what, but a nation rallied around a why. David, in the Old Testament, uh, we see him. He was uh, the youngest of, uh, of his brothers and uh, there were, his brothers were fighting the Philistines, uh, and David was asked by his father, Jesse, to take supplies up to his brothers. And so the Bible tells us that he goes and he finds his brothers in the Valley of Elah, where the Philistines line up on one side and the Israelites line up on the other. And it says that every day for 40 days, the Philistine warrior, uh, Goliath, came out and he challenged the armies of Israel, defiled them, and defiled their God. And for 40 days he came out and said, send your best warrior, we'll go one-on-one, winner-take-all. And for 40 days he came out and made his challenge, defiled God and the armies, and no one moved, no one did anything. And so now the story picks up with David bringing supplies, leaves supplies behind, and then goes up to the front line. We'll start in 1 Samuel 17. It says, soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he, was take, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Now here's where David gets his why. He says, who is this pagan Philistine anyways that he is allowed to defile the armies of the living God? David, at that moment, gets his why. He didn't know how, he didn't know what he was going to do, but he had his why, and it stirred him enough to begin to move out in that direction, believing that God would take care of the other two circles. Last frame in the story, David is holding Goliath's head. If we look at the disciples, when Jesus called his disciples, he did not call them to a how or a what. There was no plan, but he did call them to a why. Matthew 4 gives the account of Jesus calling his first disciples. He says this, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus uh, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, who is his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Here's why you're going to get out of bed from now on. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. When Steve Jobs was recruiting uh, the then Pepsi CEO, John Scully, he gave a very famous pitch to him where he said this. He said, Scully, do you want to sell sugar water your whole life or do you want to help me change the world? And in a very real way, this is what Jesus was asking the disciples. He was saying, boys, do you just want to catch fish the rest of your life or do you want to help me change the world? Do you want your why to get out of? Do you want your why to be that every morning you get out of bed just to mend nets and to, and, and to catch fish and to bring them in and sell them at market, or do you want your why to be something far bigger than you ever imagined it could be? And then we look at the why of Jesus, and 
There can be many different answers on this, but we're just taking a, a, a straightforward one. The, the why of Jesus, go ahead and put that first screen up. The why, John 3.16 tells us, go to the next screen please, tells us John 3.16, that God loved the world. That's you know, why he sent Jesus into the world. Paul tells us, go ahead, that next screen, you were right. Paul tells us that it's a trustworthy, trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. We see the why of Jesus was because God wanted to redeem mankind. Because God loved creation so much that he would not leave us in this fallen, broken state. And so Jesus enters into the world. It was his purpose. It was the why that he was here. And then if we said, well, how did he demonstrate that why? How did he demonstrate that God is love and that he seeks to redeem mankind? Well, we could say that next slide is his how he brought the kingdom of God among us. And the kingdom of God reflected God's feelings, his beliefs towards his people, and his best for his people. And then what did Jesus do? Well, that part's easy. He you know, healed the sick and cast out demons and uh, raised the dead and he embraced sinners and he uh, uh, offered forgiveness. And Luke 4, Jesus says that God has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and proclaim freedom and, and to set the oppressed free. And, but, but it all came out of his why and what his purpose was. Now, before we continue with the why of reveal, let me ask you, what is your why? If you had to put a phrase to it, why do you get out of bed every morning? Is, if all you have is your what and your how, if the only reason you get out of bed every morning is to check off your list, then I would tell you that you're living shy of what God wants to impart to you. I believe that God wants to impart to you your why. Whys can change from seasons of life, but that, that there needs to be a focus, a purpose of this why, this is why God has me existing at this moment in time. Maybe it's a journey that some of us need to wrestle with and take to clearly define our why. So what is reveals why? Because what we do is obvious, but what is our why, and this is kind of trite and, 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 and cliche, but here's our why. It's because people matter to God. We're not just going somewhere to take up more real estate or become one of many churches. We're, we're moving into a new location because we believe that people really matter to God, and it is a matter of life and death and heaven and hell. And we believe that God's purpose is to redeem people back to himself. It's the why of Jesus, it's the cross, it's the resurrection. And that he not only seeks to restore relationship with himself, but he seeks to restore our relationship with one another. And he seeks to restore our relationship with ourselves because often we have become our own worst enemy. See, the reason we're taking a risk, we could play it safe and stay here, the reason we're taking the biggest risk we ever have as a church is because more people need to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ and be restored back to him. And this is our opportunity to play a part in what the local church represents as the hope of the world as we represent Jesus. The how or how we accomplish our, uh, our why, well, those are the hills that we die on. 
that when people come through those doors, how are they going to understand that God is love? How are they going to understand this idea of restoration? How are they going to understand this idea of what the, the kingdom of God is among uh, in the local body? That is our how. This is the understanding that my life is about Jesus and I will represent him today. Every day when we walk through those doors, this is our first priority. Every day when you wake up, this should be our priority, the way we represent Jesus today. That I'm here as a seeker of truth that is greater than my own. That I choose to remove my masks and false, false fronts. That we demonstrate authenticity as a church. No fakers here. That the hill we die on is that today I will embrace the Bible's message and its promise of life transformation. The hill we die on is that we believe we're a part of something bigger than myself and that we will strive to inspire our community, us. We believe that we are here to be a participant in the kingdom of God, not just here, but in our lives. We believe that by God's design, we have gifts and talents and abilities to use today and throughout our lives. We believe that we enter today seeking to experience the presence and the goodness and the love of God. We believe a hill that we die in is that we don't come to judge our church because mercy triumphs over judgment. And we believe that we are spiritual contributors, not consumers. And the what that we do as a church, that's easy. You know, we have church service. Go to the next slide. We have our church service, and we do worship services, and regroups, and counseling, and pray for one another, and our revive organization. We reach into our community with resource room, and medical missions, and local and international outreach, and we move to a space where more people can find restoration through Jesus Christ. It is the what that we do because we believe in our why. And our why is that a community needs reveal to be a vibrant church as a light in the darkness reflecting our Father who is in heaven. And if our church doesn't exist, not patting ourselves on the back, but if our church doesn't exist, a community will be weaker because of it. And we have a long history of eight years showing how we have sown into a community. So here is our challenge. Because people matter to God, we must position reveal to be among the people that matter to God. So to stay here is no longer an option in my mind, the mind of our board, and the mind of our staff. Let me just quickly explain why. Staff burnout is a real concern of mine. Much of our staff, we spend much of our time just handling the challenges that come from being a portable church. We spend so much energy on, on, on things of just solving problems of being a portable church. And as the pastor of our staff and our key volunteers, I have to be mindful of them. And it is just a matter of time before the tide begins to sink because of exhaustion that occurs on our staff. Uh, there's volunteer burnout. That is a concern of mine. You know, we have a, a cycle that our setup and teardown team goes on every 10 months. There's a turnover because people are exhausted. I get it. It's an exhausting job. Some of you, I'm asking, pleading, that you would step in for the next four months to get us through until this new building happens because we're short on setup and teardown again. We're a one-day-a-week church, basically. For us to accomplish our why, we can no longer be a one-day-a-week church that only meets here on Sunday. 
there's a natural disconnect that occurs when you're a portable church. People aren't sure if you're going to be around. There's a disconnect of sowing into the church. There's a disconnect in connecting. There's a disconnect in buy-in. And so we have to move on to our next phase. But there are some pretty big challenges. I will not spin any of this. It's not in my personality. I'll lay all this out for you honestly and, and frankly. And together we do this or together we fail. The owner offered to put in $350,000 into TI, that's tenant improvements, uh, which, you know, was a good offer for a church that is a small church with little history. He's taking a pretty big risk on us. Uh, you know, the personal guarantee was only 50000 that myself and another, uh, comp- another couple in the church was going to field. So if we went belly up, you know, he'd get 50000 back and lose 300000 It's a pretty big risk he was taking. Unfortunately, our bids came back at 560000 The three fifty was offered when we thought there was HVAC on the roof. I told you that before. And Once we got in there and started looking, we found out some, the old owner, this building was bought by the current owner through uh, auction, the old owner yanked everything out. And so now we're 560000 140 or something like that. It's just an HVAC. So I was fairly discouraged when that five sixty came back. I thought, we're doomed. Owner called me up a couple days later and said, hey, I'll put in 500000 but I need about a $2,000 rent increase in rent over 10 years. Great for the 500000 bad for another two grand over our 10-year lease. So we countered to him and said, put in 400000 at our current rent rate that we've agreed upon. And then put the other 100000 so it's 500 total, put the other 100000 on a loan that can be paid off in four years. We have no intention of paying off that loan in four years. We have an intention of paying it off in about four months. This way we can get the full 500000 but we're not paying on the mass majority of it for 10 years. I mean, we, we can't go in and be church poor and not be able to be the church that we've always been. And so here's our struggle and our challenge in our uh, finances. Go to that next screen. Here's what we're going to need to make this happen. Fun and games right now, people. You ready? We're going to need $100,000 to pay off the loan. We don't want to carry that loan for four months. We want to pay it off in or four years. We want to pay it off in three or four months. It's five hundred sixty thousand to do the build out. He's going to put in five hundred thousand. We're going to need sixty to finish it. And then on top of that sixty, there's no chairs, and so we have to buy chairs and supplies and hang speakers and get projection ready and and you know set up lobbies and I mean all of that stuff some of it that we have now we're going to use as much as we can in the new facilities but there's a lot that goes into it chairs are not cheap I don't expect you to sit on metal folding chairs Uh, you know chairs chairs cost something and so the amount needed you know is two hundred thousand dollars now I'll be honest with you originally I was thinking Let's just try to raise 100000 And I've had five people who have approached me recently and said, uh, you are setting the bar too low. I've had four people come up and said, the number I had in mind was 200000 The last person came up at Stan, when I told Stan on Monday, hey, we're going to have to raise 100. Someone came up, came up afterward and said, I'm thinking we need to raise 200. So I'm taking that as confirmation. The last person has told me repeatedly, many times, because I can be a pessimist, told me, you are, you are limiting God in all of this, and you need to raise the bar higher to allow God to do immeasurably more than what we can ask or think. And so here is our challenge. 
All right, go to the last slide. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a Dare to Dream funding campaign. I thought about calling it I Hate This More Than You Do campaign, but I thought that doesn't really fly very well. It's not very faithful. So here's what we're doing. For three months, starting on January 2nd, ending on April 16th, three months, um, we're hoping to raise $200,000 as a church. I would love it if on the 22nd we can raise the first $100,000 and that loan is gone immediately. Um, And then over the next three months, we would, through uh, giving above and beyond our tithe, that we would be able to uh, raise the additional amount of money. It is a big dream, uh, but I also believe that we have a bigger God. Here's what happens anytime that we start talking about money in a church. And when I say we, I shouldn't even say we because we have never done this. Um, people always leave. They get disgruntled and they get sideways and they get upset. And, and the thought is, well, here we go again. The church is always asking for money. If you believe that the church is always asking for money, the global universal church, we can have coffee and I'd agree with you on probably nine out of ten of your points. I think pastors have done a disservice in this area, and we've used guilt and manipulation and strong-arm tactics, but I have never done that to you. I've never done that to you. And in eight years, the number of times that I've spoken on financing and giving has been five times. So if you have reservations about that, I get it, but it's not me, and it's not us. It's never been who we are and what we're about. And so I'm hopefully cashing in on some currency with you, that this is not who our pastor has been. And I'll tell you, I was shaken because first service, when I was sharing this, as soon as I got on 200,000, two people got up and left. Now, it could have been coincidence, but my pessimistic mind was, here we go, here we go. So I called him out, I brought him up on stage. No, I didn't, I didn't. (laughs) I get it. When Jesus said that we can't serve God in money, Jesus was really smart. He knew that that which would compete for our time and our affections the most is not fame, it's not wealth, uh, or, or fame, or sex, or pleasure, it's money. And so he said, you can't serve God and money. One of them will rule you. He was pretty smart. So we're going into this, I hope we're going into this together. I hope together, as a church, knit together, that we will see God together do immeasurably more than what we could ask or think. Now Christmas is coming up, meaning that the time the giving rolls around on the 22nd, we're all going to be broke. So I'm asking you to kind of keep in mind what we're going for on the 22nd, all right? We have about 130000 in the bank as a church. We need to come up with the additional funds because we can't go into this thing, you know, being broke or, 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 or not having margin enough to function as a church. So through this process, I will be transparent with you. I will be myself with you. I get what you're feeling. I understand the angst that you're feeling right now. But I'm asking that your spirit rules over your flesh And our why would push us forward because people really do need to come to know Jesus as Savior. And we need to step into that community.
And so I ask you this. You can sell sugar water your whole life. Or you can join with the rest of us in changing a corner of the world. You can continue to enjoy life as you know it. Or together we can make some sacrifices and we can change our corner of the world. If this isn't for you, please do not become a disgruntled person in this church. There's people around you that have fought too hard for this church. They deserve better. And the one that leads our church, not me, Jesus, deserves better. And so if you can't get behind it before you become disgruntled, I respectfully, I would just say, just leave. The church is too important. Not this church, the church as a whole. We will be accountable when we you know, defame and tear down the church that Jesus came to establish. And so here's our vision. Here's our why and our challenges. We'll be talking about it in the days and weeks to come. I believe that our best days are ahead of us as a church. I'm hoping we go into this together and we transform a community because it's not just about us. It's about people who have not even yet been born that will need a place to come to faith in Jesus Christ. You pray with me, please. Father, some big challenges in front of us. But I believe it can be a rallying point for our church to do what we cannot do alone, but together, through your Spirit working in us, you can do immeasurably more. And that's my prayer. Praying for lives to be changed. Praying for people who have never even heard about our church to come and find Jesus and find a vibrant faith. Praying for community and for children that would hear the gospel, maybe for the first time. I'm praying for us who are already part of Reveal, part of the core, that we would rise up together and it would be our finest hour. And I pray for those who are on the fringe that they would move into the center to become part of what we do together. That we would be convinced that together we are a better church. And together we represent you in fullness. And together we can change that small corner of the world. Lord, would you protect our minds and our thoughts, keep the enemy far away, that we would not give the enemy any foothold or any place. Let it be all about Jesus today. Let it be all about Jesus. And we dedicate this next season of our lives to you next season of our church to you. And we pray this in the great name and faithful name of Jesus. Amen. First service, as they were leaving, I said, don't tell second service what it's about because they won't come back. You don't have that luxury. I hope to see you at the picnic today, 12 o'clock. Bring a side dish or a dessert. There'll be plenty of food out there. I'd love to spend a little bit of time with you. I look forward to taking this journey with you. I honestly mean that. Bless you guys. I hope to see you next week. See you soon.